like to ask you to take your Bible and turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. I'll be reading from verses 5 through 11. As you turn there, I want to thank Carl for the introduction and Caleb and the pastoral team and the session for the opportunity to preach this Sunday and next Sunday. But I particularly want to thank the congregation of Pear Orchard Presbyterian Church for your care and your very warm hospitality towards Trinity through these last several months and continuing. Please know that there are many members of Trinity that are still looking for a new church home, so please keep them in prayer. And thank you for welcoming all those who have joined you so well. Let's give attention now to the word of our Lord, Philippians chapter 2. I'll be reading verses 5 through 11. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Please pray with me. Oh Lord, we do ask that you would take this passage so rich, so profound, so much for us to meditate on for all the days of our life and for all of eternity to come. And that you would take it and work it a little deeper and a little further into our minds and our hearts this day. That you might transform us and renew us, comfort us and encourage us and and set our minds after the mind of Christ, after your mind revealed in him, which is ours by your grace through faith. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. I have one question and just one point today. And the question is, do you know your God? It's a simple question. Do you know your God? And what I mean by know here is, do you understand him? Do you have some sense of the frame of his mind and what his mind is set upon? I'm not asking if you know much about him. I hope you do, and you can't really know him unless you know much about him. That's the way we come to understand him. Neither am I asking you if you know what he has said, his various promises and commands and so on. Again, you must know those things if you are to know your God. But just knowing what he has said is really not quite all the way home, not for the question before us this morning. Nor am I even asking, do you know what he has done, although all the works of God reveal who he is and the frame, the set of his mind toward us in Jesus Christ. Now, these are the ways we come to understand him, but the question today is, do we understand him? Do we know God himself? 
Do you know him like you know perhaps your husband or your wife or your son or your daughter or father or mother or your dearest friend, the person that you can sometimes know what they're going to say and what they're going to do even before they do it because you know the frame of their mind. You know where their heart is set. You know what makes them tick. You know who they are. Do you know his mind, how it is set and what it is set on? That's the question for us this morning, and it is the question of life itself. This is eternal life, Jesus declares, as he prays to the Father for his disciples on the night when he will be betrayed and taken away in order to be put to death on the cross. He's thinking of them, and he's praying for them, and he's praying aloud so that they might hear, and he says, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God. This is the eternal life that Christ gives us, that he has authority to give to all that the Father has given to him, as he puts it. And what is it to know God? To know him in spirit and in truth, but to know his heart, as I've been saying, the frame of his mind, and that is precisely what Christ makes known to us. And that's what Paul is describing here in Philippians 2, 5 through 11. To know Christ, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. I get to preach two sermons on this passage, and that's the portion I'm focusing on this morning. Next week, I'll come back and pick up with the therefore and what follows after that. But what I want us to see this morning is that there, in that portion, down through verse 8, we have revealed to us the mind of God himself in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, who is God in himself, God with us, God in human, creaturely, servant form, who became obedient to the point of death for us and our salvation. Brothers and sisters, if you will know your God, not just know about him, but to know him so as to understand him, for who he is and what he is really like, beyond all the vanity of our imaginations and all of our speculations and and misconceptions and the skewed teachings and false imaginings that swirl around us in our culture and sometimes even within us. If you will know your God, then you must look to Jesus Christ because here is your God. Here is your God in Jesus Christ, divesting himself of all the glory and honor that he is due, humbling himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, submitting to the humiliation and the shame of the cross, being stripped and beaten and mocked and crucified. Here is your God. Do you know your God? The one who denies himself? all his rights as he submits to every kind of injustice to be condemned in our place and die the death that we deserve in order to save us from our sin? 
There is the frame of the mind of God revealed in Jesus Christ. There is what his mind is set upon. Here is the mind of Christ, Jesus Christ, the fullest and most complete revelation of God that there is because he is God himself. The only begotten God, as John describes him, who has become man, taken on our human nature, in whom the fullness of Godhead dwells bodily as he is God with us. Think on this for just a little more with me. Because there is a common error that we must eliminate from our minds. It's the thought that we find behind Philip's request in the upper room on that same night when Jesus was betrayed. Philip wants to see the Father. He wants Jesus to finally show them the Father. They've been going about with him for three years in his public ministry. They've been discipled by him, trained by him, taught by him. They've seen his works. They've seen his love in action. And now they're in the upper room and Philip says, show us the Father and it will suffice. Perhaps you remember that scene. Jesus is about to be taken away to be condemned and crucified. And as I've already alluded to, here he is as the time of his hour is approaching and already at hand when he is is facing the sorts of things that will make him go out to the garden and pray as he does in the agony of the cross that already overshadows him. Here he is, thinking of, caring for, and ministering to his disciples. Where is his mind in all of this? What is it set upon? He's trying to prepare them for what is about to go down, what is about to happen, and how he is about to be taken away, and how he is about to depart from them. And he is comforting them, urging them not to let their hearts be troubled, to believe in God and to believe also in him, and to know that he is going to prepare a place for them so that where he is going, they may enter in and be with him always and forever. And he tells them that there is no other way than through him and through the things he is about to undergo. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then he adds, if you had known me, do you know Christ? Do you know your God? If you had known me, You would have known my father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. But Philip, Philip wants to know God himself as he conceives of it. That is, he wants to know the father. The father whom Jesus is speaking of. A father that he appears to imagine is is higher up and in back of and perhaps above Jesus Christ, but Philip has just completely missed the point, hasn't he? And too often, brothers and sisters, we completely miss the point as well. And we begin to think like Philip is thinking here, as if Jesus is Jesus, but God is God. As if there is a God in back of Jesus Christ, a little higher up and a little further on. Philip says, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. And Jesus responds, have I been with you so long, 
and you still do not know me, Philip? Do you know your God? Do you know who Christ is? And do you know who you have in Jesus Christ? Here is Jesus Christ. And here is your God in all his fullness of being. Though only the Son becomes incarnate, the Son is one and the same God with the Father and the Spirit. The Father is in the Son, and the Son is in the Father, and the Spirit is in the Father and the Son, and so they are in the Spirit. And there is just one God, and here is God in the Son incarnate in him. The fullness of Godhead dwells bodily. Here is your God in his fullness. If you had known me, Jesus tells Philip, You would have known my Father also. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? We must banish any sneaky sense that Jesus is a lesser being, that he is somehow not God in his fullness, in the flesh, Only then will we be able to begin to understand our God. And really only in this light can we begin to feel the weight of this passage. Of these things that Paul has just said so concisely. That have such enormous magnitude. Only in light of who the eternal Son of God is in Jesus Christ can we begin to make sense of what it means for him not to count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Or that he emptied himself and took on the form of a servant. Or that he became obedient to the point of death. In the acts of Christ, the mind of God is revealed. Here, the eternal Son of God, one with the Father and the Son, co-equal in glory and honor and power, through whom all things were created and exist, and by whose word the universe is upheld and holds together, and for whose glory everything that has come to be is. And here he is. Though he was in the very form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself or made himself as though he were nothing for us. This is our God at work. And that, brothers and sisters, is the revelation of his mind toward us in Jesus Christ. The deep secrets of the divine being, as it were, coming to light. This is who your God is. This is what he is really like. There's so much, so much to say and so much to ponder here. We can only scratch the surface on it, as it were. But, but think about just this angle on this passage for a second. Jesus Christ, God in Christ... God in the flesh is the very opposite of sin. Think about the contrast, the echo. He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Adam and Eve were not in the very form of God. They had no title to all the glory and the honor and dignity that was due 
to the divine being, but they were created in God's image. And they were crowned with dignity and honor, and they were set in a lush and exquisitely delightful garden, and they were given wonderfully rich and delightful work to do there, and the pleasure and right to enjoy it all, the full bounty of God's creation was theirs. For it was there for their happiness and for their enjoyment of God and of each other and of all the creation. But they, they counted equality with God a thing to be grasped. And they made a try, didn't they? They tried for it. And in trying to grasp equality with God, they twisted themselves and all of their posterity, all of us, into the very opposite of what we see as the frame of the mind of our God here in this passage. In terms of godliness, they twisted themselves in precisely the way, in precisely the way that we were created and called to be like God, they twisted themselves and perverted themselves into something that was set exactly contrary to that, exactly contrary to the mind of God. And in their fallen minds and ours, we became satanic in our desires and thoughts and ambitions, ungodly in the most profound sense possible, in the frame of our mind and what it is set upon. Self-serving, self-seeking, self-dealing, selfishly absorbed, selfishly obsessed, selfishly consumed, So far from denying ourselves and becoming nothing, we try to supplant God and and clutch to our privileges and demand our rights and, and want to bend the world to our will and to glorify ourselves with the glory only God deserves. And we hate and lash out at whatever seems to impede us and then stew in bitterness and resentment when we're frustrated or defeated. And all the while... All the while, this table is set before us here, reminding us that Christ was crucified, that our God became human and took on the form of a servant and offered up his humanity for us and for our salvation. This is the eternal Son of God become man and humbled himself, denying all the prerogatives of deity and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's what this bread is about. That's what this cup symbolizes. This is your God and this is the frame of his mind and this is the form of true godliness. Where is the one who does, as Paul was just saying, nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility counts others more significant than himself. You see, Paul is setting before us the ideal of that, the model of that, the perfect exemplar of that. And where do we find it? But in God himself, in Christ, becoming obedient to the point of death for us. Who does nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility counts others more significant than himself? Who looks not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others like this? 
Who lays down his life for those who once denied him? Who befriends those who hate and despise him? Always returning good for evil, blessing those who persecute him, interceding for those who crucified him. Who freely and willingly dies a death that he did not deserve and that really had no rightful claim to him in order to save forever his own killers. Who, brothers and sisters, has the right and power to demand to be worshipped as God by all creation, by everything that fills heaven and earth and yet submits to this kind of humiliation, the humiliation of the cross, to be mocked instead of praised, to be shamed instead of honored, to be crucified instead of adored forever. Is there anyone so selfless as Jesus? Is there anyone so perfect in loving the enemies that he befriends? To refuse to vindicate himself as he suffered and died under false accusations, condemned by civil and ecclesial authorities alike and counted accursed by God and by all the world? Even the angels long to understand these things, Peter tells us. Long to understand the greatness of God's grace toward us in Jesus Christ. A grace that's unknown to them but lavished so so richly and relentlessly on us. That is the mind of your God. That is what Christ's acts are revealing to us. This is the mind of Christ toward you. Do you know your God? Do you know his frame of mind toward you? Do you understand what he has set his mind on in Jesus Christ? Be still. As we come before this table this morning, be still. And let the full weight of it and of this passage sink deeply into your soul. Let the testimony of these signs and seals, this bread and cup, speak to you. Let the gospel penetrate your heart anew that you might know how much your God loves you in Jesus Christ, for that is his mind toward you. Then, brothers and sisters, you will begin to understand. And when you do, you will have the mind of Christ. The mind of Christ in you, which is already yours through faith in him, which already shows and is evident among you in the way that you love one another. In the way that you and I have seen it in my short time here richly. In the way that you live for Christ in this life and selflessly serve others, even at personal cost. There's the mind of Christ coming, being formed among us and coming to display among us. Is there any encouragement in Christ, Paul asks? Any comfort in the greatness of his love for you? In that encouragement and comfort is the mind of Christ and is the secret of all true godliness. Love, brothers and sisters, as you have been loved. Serve as you have been served. 
live and die for the glory of Christ and the good of others, just as Christ has lived and died for you. That's the testimony of this bread and this cup to us. As we proclaim together until he returns. Let's pray. Oh, Lord our God, we thank you that in Jesus Christ, the secret, as it were, of, your, of the greatness of your grace towards us has come to light so that we can see how greatly you love us and how deep your love goes for us so that we might know your mind in the mind of Christ and that we might too come to have the mind of Christ in us through faith. Bless us now. Grant us that faith that lays hold of this cup and takes this bread and eats and drinks, rejoicing in all that you are for us in Jesus Christ. We ask to his glory. Amen.